This podcast discusses difficult topics that may not be appropriate for all listeners. We are not doctors or therapists. None of our content should be construed as medical advice, nor as a substitute for professional help. Names and other specific identifying details are often changed for the privacy and protection of our guests. Our guests' experiences are shared as they experienced them. Opinions may not reflect the opinions of Beck and Ella or this podcast. There will also be adult language used. Lots of it. Listener discretion strongly advised. Before we get into today's episode, we want to start off by saying that cheating is a hot topic that creates a visceral reaction in a lot of us due to our past experiences and moral compasses. Our guest for this episode is brave enough to tell us her story and admit to the mistakes and patterns that hurt people. We encourage you to always lead with empathy. Everyone's story has something to teach us. Understanding that, while not excusing the behavior and choices, seeking to understand instead of judging. We're unable to be our best selves when we're living with unresolved trauma. One of our favorite quotes on this podcast is, heal what hurt you so you don't bleed on someone who didn't cut you. What we think is amazing about this guest story is her willingness to own her shit, heal, grow, learn, and do better, which is something I wholeheartedly can identify with. When we don't have anyone modeling healthy relationships or teaching us about boundaries or giving us tools to manage our feelings as children, it's hard to create those things as adults. It's a process. We fuck up. We hurt people. But most importantly, we keep trying. This episode is on the longer side because our guest is talking about three past exes that ultimately led to her wanting to heal and do better. So please stick with it and enjoy the episode. Thank you. Welcome back to our show. Hey, Ella, how are you? I'm good, Beck. How are you? I'm good. How's your week been? It's been pretty good. I cannot believe that we are like well into double digit episodes now. I can't either. This is going to be number 12. That's amazing. Blows I'm so mind. proud of us. I am. So Air five. Of us. <laughs> Air five. <Boom. laughs> <laughs> um, I also wanted to give another like huge thank you to people who are listening, our friends for sure, but all of you who don't know us, I'm still amazed that people, strangers listen to us and it's so amazing. So thank you so much. Our numbers are continuing to grow and we're getting the word out there. So that's really awesome. Yes. Thank you so much. Today we have Amanda with us and she is going to talk to us about some past relationships. How are you, Amanda? I'm doing pretty good. Good. Thank you for joining us today. Not a problem. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So <laughs> I am a 30 year old mother, a single mom of four kids. Three of the older or the three older ones and myself are all autistic and neurodivergent. Like we've got a lot of them. We got the lovely ADHD autisms. All of the kids have different medical complexities. Um, so I'm pretty much me is taking care of them as of right now. When do you sleep? Yeah. <laughs> Is that a question? <laughs> so realistically, I crash somewhere around midnight if I'm not working that night. Okay. If I'm working that night, it's probably somewhere around three o'clock in the morning. And then because I have public school kids and homeschool kids, I'm back up at 630 the next morning. So you're basically a superhero. Some days I, I just rotate what plates I drop. <laughs> There you go. I understand that feeling just as an ADHD person. Mm -hmm. So kind of my hyper focuses are neurodivergence, helping others recognize abuse in their relationships, 
hill from those abuse or maybe um, kind of my newer goal is helping teach others what to look for in the beginning before they get there. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. In my experience, we're told a lot of what relationships should look like from like a Hollywood standpoint, but not the actual emotional work that goes into that. For me and several peers of mine, like we didn't know that the relationships we were getting into were toxic. Right. Right. Still now I'm 30 looking back going, oh my God. Yeah. We've, we've talked about that before. The generation that we're raising are so much more aware. My little kids will say, stop gaslighting me or like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, different things to their siblings. And they recognize because we've taught them, but like it wasn't a thing Mm-mm. that was talked about or taught when we were little. No, I didn't even know what gaslighting meant. Right. No, I really think at least for my childhood to speak, we were almost the ones gaslit because our parents didn't have the boundaries and the, the emotional intelligence and stuff. Right. So they then perpetuated it to like the next cycle. Mm-hmm. And here you are breaking cycles like a rock star. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Badass. It's hard. Yeah. It is hard. Absolutely. So who are you going to talk to us about first? We can start out with uh, talking about Jay, which is the only one that I have married. I dated him actually off and on since middle school. He was the stereotypical parents didn't want me with him. So then what did I do? (laughs) Right. My senior year, I think it was my parents finally started accepting that like I was going to do it anyway sort of deal. So they did finally started like letting us hang outside of school, things like that. Never got to actually go on dates per se. So like I didn't have that experience of like actually having approved time away from the parents. Let's go with that one. Gotcha. And then separated again. And then it was graduated in 2011. The next 2012 is when we got back together. And it was a situation of like, we got back together and I moved in with him within a week. First red flag. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> Out of many as an adult, that was a first red flag. We moved in with his, We like I moved in with his parents. So like, I didn't even move in like with him. Then we moved from his parents to my biological moms. We went from there to another friend and then moved in with another friend. It wasn't until over a year. So like a year and a half into the relationship that we had finally lived together. Alone. Yes, alone. Um, there was a lots of kind of up and ups and downs with that, but I always accumulated that to, oh, we're living with other people. We can't make decisions like because it's not our house. Right. When we lived with my biological mom, there was lots of we finally got a car. So several months into this, we finally have a car as an adult because neither of us had a car when we moved together. And we both worked for the same place. He was allowed to take the car to work, but I wasn't. That was his rule? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thought it was normal. So how'd you get there? Uh, I either had to walk, take the bus, or he would drop me off sometimes. Okay. And I was pregnant. Yeah. How him and I got married actually was because we were walking around one day and he basically looks over and was like, why don't we get married? It's the next thing to do, right? <laughs> right. In the, in the order of things. Sure. <laughs> right. And the birds sang and the... <laughs> so I paid for my wedding van, his wedding van, the certificate, and then we found out two days before we got married that 
I was pregnant with my first child. Okay. And all was fine until like the night before we were packing and then this huge fight broke out. I can't remember why it started, but we were fighting as we were packing. Everything's great in front of my family. We have a very small wedding. I was still, like, again, not knowing about the world. Like, he asked if we had any vows or anything. No, just whatever. And then it ended up being very, very traditional vows. And I was like, oh. Because from almost my whole adulthood, I was very atheist. Anything God-related turned me off, mm-hmm. like, immediately. And I joke now that that was probably an indicator in my marriage. <laughs> if I'm like, eh, the whole time I'm doing the uh, vows, then probably something there, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. So we found out I'm pregnant. Throughout that pregnancy, he had tried to get out of basically me being pregnant various ways, asking me if I was willing to abort. There would be various fights about it, various fights about medical decisions I would make, because then he would say that I didn't give him a choice, but he would purposely would not engage. So he wouldn't give an answer or wouldn't give an opinion or just would not make the conversation a thing. And then when I'd make decisions myself, then I suddenly was controlling everything and just doing things myself over our kid that he had made it clear he didn't want. It's your body, your choice. I hadn't fully came into that yet. Like I was saying those words, but I didn't know what those truly meant. Right. We fast forward. I'm in school during this, by the way. I I give birth while going to college. I was mostly a stay-at-home parent. He would complain that he was paying all the bills. So then I would get a job. And then anytime I asked him, because at that point, I still thought dads babysat their own kids. Right. They don't babysit their own child. They parent them. Yes. If you think that you are having somebody babysit your child that is your their parent and you live with them in like an actual relationship with them, then you are single cohabitating with their father. Right, correct. So he would throw a fit and tell me he's not the one that told me to get a job and he wouldn't watch the baby. So I would then have to find other care. It was almost like... The punishment of not having a job versus the punishment of having a job, things like that. The patriarchy is strong with that one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. With my first pregnancy, birth control failed because of some other medication that I was taking. We're fast forwarding to first kid. It's a little over a year. I get pregnant again. This time, birth control just completely fails. He wanted my second child. And so he was more attentive with that pregnancy until he found out it was a boy. But it was really my second pregnancy that started opening my eyes um, for a few reasons. One, I started talking to more people because in college and starting to realize that what I thought was normal, like one of his favorite things to do was to go through my devices. And I thought everybody just had to deal with their partner doing that because you were cheating. Mm-hmm. Projection is a mission. Yeah. <laughs> it's like almost always the ones that are wanting to go through your stuff and accusing you of cheating that is their own guilty conscience yes mm-hmm. and then it was during this point that in college I met baby daddy number three later down the road and figured out Polly do you want to explain that to our listeners in case they don't know? Polyamory, um, which now I think is a better identify with ethical non-monogamy, mm-hmm. which can encompass polyamory, but it's there's a tons of different 
types. Discovered that and had a crush on Baby Daddy 3. Kind of left it alone at that. Um, He became kind of my confidant. If my ex-husband and I were having problems, I would call him for a male perspective. Because for me, it was always important of like, I realize I'm not perfect. There's times that I let my petty be too petty things like that and so I would call him and be like what what can I do well he would always tell me well if you ever want to go out we can go out we can go to the movies we can do whatever so my brain thought okay friends going out Mm -hmm. I managed to end up accidentally going on a date with this man (laughs) it was ironically through that relationship which did start out as cheating on my ex-husband that is not what Polly is I do want to clarify that Polly is not an excuse to cheat on your spouse. And so he did find that out. Uh, My ex did find out by going through my things. And that's what he used then to justify all the other times he went through my stuff. I don't mean to make any kind of like excuse for cheating, but like, it's funny that people like that can't see that you, what you fear you create, you know, when you're controlling and constantly accusing your partner of cheating, they're going to eventually cheat on you because you're Mm -hmm. being so disrespectful. All it's going to take is someone being nice to them at the right time, Mm -hmm. the right day. And like, that's what's going to happen. Not saying there's no fault there, but like, that's what you create when you do those types of things to someone. Oh, yeah. So then he said, no, this needs to end. And me thinking that, like, oh, no, I've messed up. I need to be the proper wife. He wanted me to end things. So I did. He then later gave us like a week or so later gave us permission to date again. So me and that partner started dating again. And it was kind of through that that I realized that being equal in a relationship was important. Being not coerced sexually was important. Because after the relationship had started with my third baby daddy, I had stopped having sex with him at this point in my in, during my pregnancy because I just didn't want to. It's amazing that you're not attracted to somebody that you have to parent. Right. That's also coercive. Let's pause right there and just say that one more time for the people in the back. She <laughs> said you are not attracted, sexually attracted to people that you have to parent. <laughs> that is absolutely... Correct. (laughs) That is a very profound statement that really needed its own like exclamation point. (laughs) Yes. And honestly, I didn't realize that like that was it until my third relationship. Like that was when I finally realized like that was, ha ha, this is why I'm having these problems. I don't have intimacy problems. I don't need to go take any of these like supplements, any of this. No, it's the relationship. Right. Yes. Um, So he actually told me that if I didn't have sex with him, I wasn't allowed to use the car. Oh, my God. What? We lived off campus. But it was through that. And then it was also through his wife at the time and I became friends. We ended up ending things. Memory on that's a little fuzzy. I know my ex-husband would go back and forth because his thing was he would be fine with it if it was third baby daddy's current wife. It was fine if it was her, but it was it was wrong because it was a male. Okay. For those that aren't following or understanding on that one, basically in the poly world, that is called a one penis policy. That's what he wanted. Mm. We can get into how that's coercive and abusing and homophobic all in itself. So it was, it was just downhill from there. So I started realizing that communication wasn't just somebody talking at me. 
there was conversation that I had a choice in my life. Money that, especially money I was putting into, I had a choice in how that money was spent. I could buy things for me. I could go hang out with my friends. Even after things ended with what ended up being my third baby daddy, I would still hang out with his wife at the time. And there was a friendship there and he hated it because it was somebody else from the outside looking in saw through the abuse and would label it. And because I had the labels, then I could start standing up for myself. And to this day, he still blames her for my divorce because if it wasn't for her, oh wow, I wouldn't have became a stuck up bitch. It wasn't his bad behavior or his abuse or his manipulation. She helped you recognize it. At this time, I start encouraging him, hey, go date other people. He's in that dating scene. He's not telling anybody about anybody. He's continuing to try to reconcile things with me. And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm done. That's when the friendship between what became Baby Daddy 2 and I started being more than friendship. In fact... He showed up a lot during that time. So then my ex went through my things again and found where I had just told a story about how while I was pregnant, my ex was partying. They were growing some things that are not legal in our area and things he had said to me during that fight. And the problem was not that he went through my, but rather that I told my friend. And his response out of the argument that it came from was to ask me to leave for a week. So I did. And I went and stayed with my friend that ended up being baby daddy number two. Um, I took the boys. I went. The initial turning out of a friendship there was one thing led to another. And then before I knew it, I was helping him cheat on his ex, now ex-fiance. And I would feel bad, but my needs were being met, which I would later find out that was the codependent in me. Sure. My ex-husband called within a day or so, begging me to come back. And I said, no. You told me to stay gone for a week, so I'll stay gone for a week. Then it was suddenly my fault. Things were wrong. I was the reason why we were having problems. What I understand now is the Darvo, the deny, accuse, act like the victim. I can't remember what the R is, but then victim. And so it became like the fight was my problem, basically. We finally, after that, he decides, I come home, he decides he's moving out. We're talking, it's June, July-ish. And it was supposed to be over in September. So he decides he's moving out. He's going to continue paying the bills at that point, but he's moving out. I'm working. He, When he moved out, he would only keep the children on his days off. He still very much tried to control my life of if I was just trying to go hang out with somebody or something like that. He would make it a point to make it hard. While I was at work, there were times that he would call me at work and pick fights with me, continuously texting, continuously calling. There was one time he threatened to just put the kids in my car while I was working. Oh my God. Goodness. He didn't do it. I was working for a local restaurant at the time, and I'm still so thankful to the woman that was my manager because she spoke so much wisdom in me at the time that I did not know was because she told me call his bluff. And I'm like, what the fuck do you mean call his bluff? Yeah. These are my kids. I can't just have them in the fucking car. And I didn't that time, but there was a time that I did because I couldn't keep leaving work. I couldn't keep doing these things. And 
it was like watching the blood drain out of his face of like, what do you mean? Okay. It's it's funny when you call people on that, especially if they're be- doing it in like a passive aggressive way. I struggle with codependency also, but I don't do passive aggression. It's a hot button for me. I don't do it and it doesn't work on me. Mm-hmm. Like I, I can't, it will set me through the roof like mm-hmm. more than anything else in my ex um, was very passive aggressive and I remember one night he said he got really mad and he said I'm gonna go move into the we had a rental house at the time that was open he's like I'm gonna go move into the rental and I said okay and he like was surprised and he started packing up his stuff and he kept like looking at me kind of waiting for me to argue mm-hmm. you know it was almost like okay I'm really gonna do it okay I'm moving toward the door you know and I'm Yo, like yes yes <laughs> peace out he gets and i'm like don't forget your pillow and that really pissed him off mm-hmm. <laughs> it just does not work on me like i am not gonna like beg you to stay or like be i don't know it just flies all over me yes so my now eight-year-old was like the seizure started at seven months old. So he had been chronically ill since four months old with respiratory illnesses. Well, at seven months old, he had complex febrile seizures. And they were complex because they were happening oh my God. one after another. Not knowing what I know now, I was actually at now baby daddy three's house. He was at drill or something something with the army at the time and i was hanging out with his wife and i was like no this is a seizure i need to go i had to call my ex-husband several times so he would get the older child and he had absolutely nothing to do with any of any of it like didn't come up to the hospital didn't like try to stay in contact nothing and when i get back it was a fight because I expected him to take care of the older child while I was busy with the younger child in the hospital. Who was having a seizure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What I didn't know that I know now is seizures aren't a drive with no other passenger in the vehicle sort of deal. That was not my best move. Well, you don't know. I mean, that's a terrifying thing to happen. Oh, God, yes. So while he's there... I end up talking my ex-husband into getting the older one again. I'm home for less than 24 hours, or less than 48 hours. I get a phone call that the older child has burned his hands because him and he had moved into his best friend's house and him and his best friend had taken and they were doing a bonfire in the backyard were city limits so he did it in a burning barrel the child was running because what do toddlers do in a backyard oh my god Mm -hmm. and they told him to stop running they didn't really stop it until it became too late on the barrel with his hands jesus and so then i was like trying to swap children sort of deal because you take this complex one, I'll take this one to the emergency room. Um, he ended up with like second degree burns on his hands. And at that point, he did not take the infant. And I was told that I was lucky he took the older child while I dealt with the younger one. And that was one of the final nails in the coffin for me. I wasn't quite all the way mentally done yet because one of my downfalls that I figured out t- up to this point is I will sacrifice myself so much. I will go to therapy to work on me because all these things these people are telling me I'm wrong on. I'll go to therapy and work on those things. 
I will insist on going to marital counseling and fight with that person to go to marital counseling or couples counseling and fight with me on whether they think it's worth it or whatever. I will do all these things to my detriment. Codependency. To say that I tried. So I wasn't quite done at that point, which anybody looking in would be like, what the fuck? That should have been the, the, like your kids, right? But it was the, for sure, I needed to split all the things from him and we need to start this divorce process. So we did. I've moved in. I move into my own place. He calls it all kinds of names. Is very derogatory about it because it was a trailer park. Told me how I was putting our boys in danger. Not at all. It was just I, what I could afford. He wasn't paying child support. He wasn't paying any of those things. And I'm still seeing baby daddy too, helping him cheat on his ex-fiance. During that, my final straw was one night he literally called me and texted me and kept me up until three o'clock in the morning trying to fight with me. And that's when I realized that like this man's not changing. He can't keep the mask on for more than a certain amount of time. And you can't. Someone who's committed to misunderstanding, you're never going to get them to hear you or come to common ground. They're bought in. Oh, yes. Yes. And then that was the thing of two, I continue this after I'm like, okay, done, done with him. I continue this relationship, not relationship with baby daddy too. And we would go through these roundabouts of like, I knew he was with the other woman. I would be like, hey, no, you need to tell her. You need to make decisions because if you are really loving her the way you say you love her, you wouldn't be sleeping with me. Right. Because he was very monogamous. So like we would, and then he would be like, well, no. And he would like choose her, but eventually come back to me. And I feel horrible about it now. I have no contact with her. She's one of the people that I would love to make amends with. But I thought at the time we didn't get along because we were completely opposite people. And wanting to say she was Southern Baptist or something along those lines would get offended when I breastfed my infant in public. Um, because I was tempting her boyfriend or her fiance with my boobs. Like, no, I can do that without the child attached to it. We were just complete opposite. Does the child attached to it make it more sexy? <laughs> um, I, I mean, I never understood people that say that's sexual. Like, so right. dumb. What does that say about you? Like, where your brain goes? It, right. it says more about them than it does you. That's so. It's literally the only reason we have boobs. The only reason. It is. <laughs> They're just to feed the baby. So, yeah, there was things like that. And I always thought we just didn't get along just because we were opposite people. And now more grown up me goes, she probably knew something. Like, she knew. And so he led to some of those things when she had not met me until after I had slept with him. And his answer was, or his introduction before actually introducing me to her was, hey, this is my best friend. We had grown up together. Like our families were friends. We grew up together. Don't make me choose because I'll choose her. That's one hell of a way to get your fiance to like your your friend, right? Female friend. Right. Hmm. You. That poor girl. Because you know, if she had the self-esteem and the wherewithal to say, well, I choose me, so fuck right. off. <laughs> From what I know now, she actually ended up with somebody that was within her religion 
more towards her beliefs and she did a massive glow up and I'm, I'm very happy for her. She deserved it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. She didn't find out that we were sleeping together until I conceived my kid. Oh no. And then he told his family and her it was a one night stand gone wrong. Lies and lies. Mm-hmm. To begin with, I went with it until like that was the time that he decided to dive into suddenly repairing that relationship and making that relationship a priority. Like, what was his end game then? Is he just going to stick with that lie forever? He wanted to stay with her and stick with that lie forever. Like, I had called him because I'd, there was issues going on with the pregnancy. She was almost a miscarriage. And so I was end up at the emergency room. I'm trying to call him and he's not answering because he's with her and that's his partner. And I can just tell him more or less. Um, I'm still pretty close contact with my dad and the woman I call my mom. She's the one that mostly raised me, um, but she's actually my stepmom, and she's the one there with me. And at that point I go, look, mom, whatever you going to do what you're going to do. And she wrote up, this giant book basically on she threw me under the bus too she threw us both under the bus like yelling this at sparta (laughs) i'm talking about how if you love somebody you don't go spend your like anniversary dinner and then come home and jump in the bed of somebody else right things like this she sends it directly to her directly to his mom posts it on facebook she didn't use our name though nuclear but if you knew you knew Mm -hmm. she ended it that night i'm happy for her she had enough at that point of confidence to go no this is too much that's not what i deserve good for her i stayed though and we still remain in that like not in a relationship in a relationship thing like we were supposed to be exclusive but we couldn't we wouldn't be labeled a situation yes yeah he didn't move in with me because so i moved out of the trailer and i got into another place because i knew i've already done one home birth i'm going for a second home birth and i can't do that in a trailer because have you ever tried to put a pool in a trailer so i get a house move into that place he helps me move, but he does not move in with me. He ends up finally starting to stay with me regularly two weeks before I'm due with my third kid. And there would be lots of fights about what his family would think. Or with him, it was always the image. He would have anger outbursts and just blame it on his anger. Various things like that. He, at one point in my car, lost it on my kids. And I actually had to put myself in the middle because he was trying to like hit in the back, similar to like what I was raised with. And I don't, I don't subscribe to that mentality of beating our children. And that wasn't enough for me to walk away either because codependency. And so I kept begging to be a priority in this man's life, begging to be what was enough to be a commitment. When he finally did move in all the way, my daughter was two weeks late, actually. She was 42 weeks one day. That was when he was finally moved in all the way. And I will add a note, a side note here for people listening. If you have to beg or plead for the bare minimum of somebody's time or attention or affection it's either a fuck yes or it's a no Mm -hmm. if they are not saying like Mm -hmm. fuck yes about you it's a no absolutely no right 100 you you deserve better and you will find someone yes that feels fuck yes about you during one of the big issues there also that should have been red flags was he very attached to what mom thought and mom mattered a lot there and i still like i had respected this woman a lot 
until during this pregnancy when it was less about her son cheating and more that I needed to have a DNA test done to prove that it was his. Early on in the pregnancy, she tried to encourage me to abort. Do you tell her you just took a DNA test and it turns out you're that bitch? <laughs> that song wasn't out yet. Or at least I didn't it wasn't. know about it yet. <laughs> <laughs> she um, tried to encourage me to abort and I wouldn't because at the time I subscribed to I was very pro-life for myself, but I would literally go walk a friend into the, the clinic and I dare somebody to say something to her. I very much voted and fought for pro-choice just because it's not what I believe does not mean that everyone should believe the same way. Mm -hmm. Well, it's your body, your choice, right? Exactly. I was coming more into that. Mm -hmm. So absolute no. So things got very strenuous there. She asked several times about a DNA test. My original answer is, well, if you want a DNA test so bad, you can pay for it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you don't need to pay for that. Mm -mm. He would tell me that I was causing problems because I wouldn't just go with it. And if he will not stand up to his mother today, he will never stand up to his mother. <laughs> it's another uh, NGC pod life rule right there. There's been very, very few situations in my life where I have seen a couple that if the male doesn't stand up in the beginning, he probably isn't ever going to. Right. There are some, but like once in a blue moon, not counting the one we just had either. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's various situations like that. So I have my third. Um, she was, I was in prodromal labor for a week. We hit 42 weeks exactly. My midwife says, hey, if we don't have a baby today, we don't have one. So we start doing some natural methods to try to induce labor. Doesn't really work. She tried to get me walking, all these things. That was fun. Finally, I say enough's enough and I go to sleep. Wake up the next morning. That was my first castor oil birth. I don't recommend it. Oh, that's not fun. He sleeps through all of this. And finally, he wakes up and we almost did not get the pool thing completely done. Baby daddy three's wife and she's there helping kind of being an assistant. Um, so ironically, my infant's biggest sister got to see me give birth to my third child. So thankfully, they were there to help. But he was just sleeping through the things and ladies or people with uteruses that give birth. Your partner should not be sleeping through you giving birth or labor. As a former birth instructor who has seen lots of couples have babies, if you fail your partner while they are in labor and giving birth, they will never get over that. No matter how much they try, no matter how much therapy you go to, that is not the time to fail your partner. For those who haven't given birth, and especially a natural birth, but any birth, it's such a wonderful experience, but it's also a scary roller coaster sometimes. And you just, I can't imagine being in a situation where I didn't have support trying to do that. It blows my mind. It really does. Don't fail at that, partners. Any other day. Don't fail that day. Right? Still not a committed relationship during this either. He's moved in, still not committed. We're supposed to be exclusive. It's not until this man is on an extended training somewhere overseas. My daughter is six months old. And that's 
basically when he decides, like, he slips it in of something of looking forward to coming home to my girlfriend or something like that. And that's how our relationship is finally titled. With him in control of that, not even something you decided together. He Mm -hmm. decides today when he's lonely overseas that, Mm -hmm. got it. Mm -hmm. That relationship continues to be very similar. He comes home where he lives life. The anger issues are still happening. The sporadic, like he would help somewhat to be an equal partner in the house, but I had to tell him, like I was sending daily lists to this man of what needed to be done. Again, if you're listening to this, they live in the house with you. They have eyes. They can look. They can see. They should not need to be told the dishes are overflowing or various things like that, or the trash needs to be taken out, or the yard needs to be cleaned up. These things they can see. And I would justify it for a while because at this point in our lives, we were working office at shifts is why I had excused it for so long because he was working five o'clock in the morning or up at five o'clock. He'd get home around 4.30. I would then go to work my job at five in the evening and I worked nights. So I would get home two, three o'clock in the morning. So we were passing each other. So I excused it as, well, I'm the one that's been here all day. So I know what the kids are doing because I homeschooled. I know what needs to be done. I've done the appointments throughout the day, like all these things. I know what I'm trying to work on. And I fell into that. I don't want to say trap necessarily because society always says, well, he can't read your mind. So I fell into the societal notion that if I wanted him to do something, I had to tell him because he couldn't read my mind and I am the responsible for communicating myself. So I, I over-communicated. The emotional labor that is put on women is absolutely just ridiculous. Like we have got to bridge that gap. Like I didn't know the bridging the gap part and the emotional labor and men- mental labor. That was just something that I would complain about not having those words, but would complain about because why should I have to do this? Because what would happen was then I wouldn't leave those lists because between ADHD, because I can't stick to a routine for too long, because then there's no more dopamine in that. And then also there would be times that I just, why? Why the fuck do I need to do this? You are a grown person. And so he would come back with, well, you didn't give me a list. Like, I didn't know you wanted it done. You didn't tell me to do it. I'm not your mama. Right. And so things would be kind of the up and down, the roller coaster. I always say it's when it was good, it was good. When it was bad, it was horrible. Fast forward to him deploying because he gets activated and deploys. It's a life changer for me because prior to this, I was paying, I had gotten myself to the point where I was basically paying all the bills and he paid for the fun things for like the Netflix or the various things like that, the fun things. But I was the the breadwinner. And when he deployed, it flopped because I would be paying more for childcare to work full time. And so I went part time. That with that relationship is when I started seeing that I was single parenting, basically, while in a relationship because he was deployed. And that is not easy. The deployment curse is real. I don't know if either of you have ever experienced that. The moment your soldier leaves, something breaks. And it's not something small either. It's like your whole washer gives out or like something goes wrong. So like it, there was definitely it's rough moments. And I was 
single parenting three children. They were like one, three, five. So like younger children. He deploys. I start realizing that basically I was using his money. Anytime I called him because he was overseas, the kids would be yelling and it'd be just too much. So he'd just hang up because he couldn't handle it. And I remember saying, I wish I could just hang up. I wish I could just walk out of the house. Right. Like it must be nice. Like you just hang up. And he would do it too if the children were on the line. If it was too much chaos for him, he would just dip out. That you're on an opposite time zone, like literally opposite side of the world. Time that we can cross over is limited anyways, and you're just going to dip just because... Kids are being kids. Yeah. And I will very much attribute, he had a lot of childhood trauma as well, and was raised in a very similar environment that I was, because we did grow up together. His father is a raging alcoholic and a narcissist. We'll brag about it. I'm not sure if he's actually diagnosed. He is a therapist. I'm not sure if he's psychiatrist or therapist. He did have a lot of that, and he was very much looking for parental approval. So we're through the deployment, and I'm realizing these things about him of, like, he just dips when it gets hard. He's struggling with commitment. He's dipping when it gets hard. To backtrack just a little bit, he had actually bought a ring for me before the deployment, but did not give it to me because what will his family think? He was just going to propose to me just because he was leaving. (laughs) His aunt, I love that woman. Her and I are still, um, I, I still refer to her as aunt's name, was actually helping us to plan a wedding that wasn't even proposed for while he was gone. Because what would the rest of his family think? If you're listening to this, please, if it's what would his, his family think, then his family can either shove it or you just need to leave. So I reconnecting with what eventually be baby daddy number three. It was kind of off and on just talking because we were both out of college at this point. I had dropped out actually. Baby daddy three had went on a deployment, had came back while he's gone. It was like a really bad storm in October. It was not tornadoes, but it led to several of the trees around the house that we were living in to have trees on the house. So I experienced homelessness with three children while he was deployed. And still a lot of that stuff was, I was here, so I got to handle it. It was basically just update him. So again, the mental load there. And so I began getting closer with with what eventually would be baby daddy number three of going, I don't know if this relationship, like if my relationship will survive once he gets home and start hanging out with him more uh he starts showing me like saying the right things um starts taking me like out to movies and such to telling me that I'm more than just a mom that I need to get out I've got to take care of myself these things which is probably like heroin to you at that point oh yes mm-hmm. November baby daddy two comes home we have like great time as great as a deployment and like the relationship of trying to get back together I fall into the kind of tropes that they tell you military wise goes the military significant others tell you of like well they've been gone they don't know like you've had to live life without them and you're the one home so they've got to get reintegrated back into being part of the family, things like that, which can be very valid for parents and partners that are actively in every day prior to leaving. Mm -hmm. But it highlighted to me the lack thereof. And I started seeing that 
well, what I suspected was true of like, I, I can do this myself. I'm single parenting. We get a place after he gets home. We finally get a place, get moved in. That's when the administration fees for renting had went started going into effect and non-refundable deposits and all of that started skyrocketing. And that was a big fight too, because I was sitting here saving and trying to figure out how to do that. And he would spend it on other things. And it was a big crossover there because my way of budgeting is save and then just pay the bills. Just go ahead and pay them all out. Get the money gone. He would wait until they're due for it to be a stress. So there would budgeting because this is the first time at this point with him home that again, since my ex, that I was having to depend on somebody. So then it would be that I didn't know how to depend financially on somebody. I was too independent. I was still kind of living life, doing some of the things that was like mine only. I had forgot the word for it, but basically we had argued and then he decided like, let me do this nice thing for you. And he had bought um, some pole classes because I had wanted to start taking those. And so leave the kids with him because why not? He, he's my partner. And at the time, I subscribed very much to the, if you were with me, you take part in all of my children, not just the one you've created with me. And I couldn't understand why people would not, like, if you got with somebody knowing they had kids, why wouldn't you want to be involved with their kids? Right. I actually ended up finding out he had been drinking while I was gone. And that was whiskey. Drinking a lot or like? Yes. Having a drink. No, like drinking a lot while I was gone because we lived on the opposite side of town. So I would have to drive over 30 minutes to that class. That class was several hours long. And then I would come home and things would be off because he'd be acting like he had been drinking, but I had saw no signs of drinking. That's when the whole kind of with him, the pressuring for sex came back. Because throughout the relationship, we had mismatched libidos. I was the higher sex drive and his would be the lower. When he would be in the mood would be things like when I was sleeping. Not appropriate unless you have that pre-negotiated into some sort of contract that you have given consent for beforehand. Mm -hmm. No kink shaming. I am part of the kink community that, that that's not was not pre-negotiated though. Um, and at the time I did not know what that fell under. And so between finding out that he was drinking, he had did that. I found out again that he drank and he was drank to the point that he, like he passed out on the toilet and I came home to him passed out. And then the big straw there for me with him was I found out that he had left his firearm loaded within reach of my children. Oh my God. What? And I, for a disclaimer, got my lifetime concealed carry permit. I do have a firearm and it does stay locked because I'm a responsible gun owner. That was a big thing for me because I am very, very, I want to say anal, but basically anal about firearm safety. Yeah. Because that is something we can protect our children from. There's no excuse for that. No. None. Parents and I got told, well, he's under a lot of stress. And he said, well, he's under so much stress that he can go to your house and not come back until he gets counseling. I fell for the, well, they're booked out. So I was like, well, he's tried. So I let him come back. But he didn't really try. It was the excuse. And so he snapped at the kids again. In this process, we went to church because prior to then, I was off and on with the Unitarian Universalist denomination because they were very open to basically guiding me and my atheist to agnostic kind of the hippie church is what my husband calls it, <laughs> it, is. it is. <laughs> i tell people uh basically we treat people like they're people because they're people right 
<laughs> but yes, the heavy church, that's, that's perfect. <laughs> so we're there and it's after service um, during like what we have the coffee and conversations, what we call it. Coffee talk. <laughs> <laughs> he snaps at one of the kids and the youth leader, for lack of better words. I think we call it a religious exploration leader, I think is what we call it. But the, basically the equivalent of our youth leader pulls me to the side. And I remember telling her of like, he just has anger problems. And she goes, no, he tried to hide it. That means he knows it's wrong. Mm -hmm. You need to leave him. Right. And I give all these excuses. And I actually, at this point, start disliking this woman because she's just trying to break me up. Even though I'm already having all these problems with him and already like, internally going I don't know if my relationship's gonna last I don't know if like this is what I need to be in and like I mentioned baby I number three had already come in and started telling me all these things and building that up and the love bombing so much during this phase and we had not started sleeping together again but there was definitely the emotional infidelity we were spending so much time together. He was lying to his wife. I was lying to baby daddy too. If we would get into something, I would immediately apologize because everybody else's feelings are my feelings, right? Like I'm responsible for those, right? No, 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 no. No. Mm -mm. And I still fell very much into the like confusion of, I knew other people's feelings weren't my feelings and I'd didn't control them, but I didn't understand that if I knew my actions caused that, then I caused the feeling. Right. And so he would tell me things like, these are my feelings. I have to work through them. Like all the things that would later become a detriment, basically. And like hyped me up and put me on this giant pedestal. And so I made my decision finally of like, okay, I'm done. I'm ending it. He tells his wife days before Christmas that he wants a divorce. Wow. Encourages her to go up and see their family. And I felt bad, but I was very wrapped up with the blinders on. Even though I was friends with this woman, saw her as the crazy ex and how she was making things difficult. It's like I had forgotten all the years we were friends. Because for my downfall here, I put myself in this very love-bombed thing. I put myself into places I should not have been. He would call me and tell me that, oh, wife doesn't want to give me partial custody because of my work schedule. He was a police officer. And so at the time, he would work swing shift. So my answer was, don't worry about it. Go for 50-50 and I'll help. We got to that point because there was a night that he came over after I had an, like a rough day or whatever with kids. Baby Daddy 2 was, I think, at his family's house or something because he had just got, you know, just home but was not really around for that much. I remember uh, Baby Daddy 3 looking at me and going, we need to find the relationship now. When I had hesitancy because literally I basically jumped beds having hesitancy and he was like pushing, pushing, pushing and pushing the boundaries. That was should have been one of the many red flags, but it wasn't to me. The, the rushing, if they have to rush to be with you, there's a reason. And so I go, okay, fine, we can do it. But I lay out that I'm polyamorous. Like this is a thing. Hello, you are my first poly boyfriend. And okay, that's fine. That's fine. He tells me it's fine. But he wants one year of only us so we can lay our foundation is what he would tell me. And then after that, I can have other partners. So we move into a mutual friend of mine and what's going to be his ex-wife's. Um, we move into there and we tell the world we're roommates. 
his ex-wife saw through it. We're fixing this house up. He, it's always like a bomb goes off in this house. And at this time, I'm very much caught up in this like love bomb of I'll do these things for you. I'll clean the house. I'll, I'll do all these things for you because you can do this skilled labor that I can't. So it's an equal trade-off to me. He prioritizes what will be his child's room and makes sure to get that done quickly because it's a priority for him to start getting his child on his time. But mine is neglected. During this time of us living together, I didn't have my kids. I would spend the night at this home and then go before my kids woke up to the other house. Stay there. Oh, wow. Till they went to bed that night and then I would leave again. Very draining schedule. You would think it's fine, but it's super draining schedule. No, that doesn't sound fine. Mm -mm. No, it's not. (laughs) And so finally I go, I get my kids stuff. I get my kids and I start having my kids. During this process... He was very much talking to me about how all the things Baby Daddy 2 was doing that was wrong. Um, Baby Daddy 2 and I were on a tracking app called Life360. He would take and basically geofence certain areas. If you're not familiar with what a geofence is, it's basically in the app you can label places and like that property and you would get notifications going to that property, leaving that property, things like that. It's very stalkery. It was started out with a very good intention. He would not follow guidelines on drill weekends. He would work like a closing shift and then drive down to Smyrna on next to no sleep for drill the next day. So I was very concerned about those things. And so he would talk to me about how that was stalkerish and how my ex was controlling and like, basically villainized baby daddy too to the point where i thought baby daddy too was narcissistic uh, or well, a narcissist had just fed myself that oh i can just basically all i can find are narcissists because first x was very overt in this process i'm having to like lay strict boundaries with baby daddy too because he was like well we can just remain friends and wanted to remain in everyday life when i'm like no no we're not together And then began the turmoil with Baby Daddy 3. During this time, I found out that I wasn't supposed to have children anymore. At least not supposed to be able to carry them to term. I had to grieve that because I had still wanted more children at the time. He had originally told me in the beginning that he wanted, like, he wanted more children. So, like, eventually that was going to be a thing. I start grieving that whole not having kids anymore process of all the things that were supposed to be great in this pedestal. I start noticing things like I'm still continuing to do everything in the house. His oldest child always got priority. Always. And I'm not saying that in a relationship that you shouldn't have, your kids should have a priority to a certain extent. But the relationship between the adults should also have a priority. That child would get to have a say in like what I was able to do. Like this new woman's holding my dad's hand. I don't like this kind of put in like she would get in the middle. He would tell me that that it was fine. She was allowed to do that. And like almost encouraged the behavior. It was through this process that I actually would reach out to another mutual friend because she had left a a similar abusive relationship and then went on to have a great relationship with multiple kids. He had kids. She had kids. I would reach out to her frequently because it's not like I can call the ex-wife and be like, what do I do? Right. (laughs) So I would reach out to M, be like, are these behaviors 
normal? How do I go about this? How do I, in the gentle parenting world, how do I do these things? Because as I mentioned earlier, I've had very much the view of if you're with somebody, you're with their kids too. Mm -hmm. And even after the relationship has ended with that person and I, I still call that kid my bonus kid. And I never married their dad. But there was always that he had, she had the priority. She could do no wrong. He, if I brought something up thinking it was inappropriate, I would get things like, why are you fighting with me just because I'm spending time with my kid? When it would be things like, hey, when you come in, can you come see me? Instead of just going down there for an hour, he would undo everything because I would be there throughout the day and he would undo everything, like tell her to do the exact opposite of what I would tell her. So simple request of when you come in, can you like come in, say hi to me so I even know you're home and check in with me. But I made the mistake of using the word check in because then he told me that I was controlling him and there was no need for him to check in with me to get permission to do things with his kid, which was never at all the intention. I was viewing it as a kind of just a relationship standpoint and a co-parenting stand. Communication. Yeah. So it was up and down. We start the moving process to move into a house he's buying. He includes me as much of I got to tour the houses, but I didn't get to really have say. I wanted to move more south of our county. He pushed for exit 11, things like that. Uh, if I would mention how far of a commute it would be for my work, I would be told, well, sucks to be me. Things like that. Still, I, I'm not seeing the problems here. Um, I had actually, in the beginning, insisted that our money stay separate because I had went through these processes before. I didn't want our money to mingle. So we end up moving into the house right before Christmas. There was a fight because my family had traditions that I had had because... Standard family plans typically have you splitting weeks of a time. My ex-husband only gets the children weekend, Thanksgiving, and then Christmas Day at the time. So it became a tradition for us. I would do Christmas Eve at my house. We would wake up, do Christmas as normal. That was a problem. It was a problem because I had started creating kind of a friendship in one of the times that he had pushed me away with a coworker of mine. And I told Baby Daddy 3 before anything actually happened, I said, hey, um, I might cuddle this guy. And in my brain, this is me informing you that this is happening. Um, he said he thought it was a joke. I would tell him, hey, I, I'm into this guy. I want to hang out with this guy. And that relationship in and of itself was basically a cuddle buddy. Wasn't going somebody was going to go fuck. And then his swore up and down even though I told him my intentions that I cheated on him and has kept that through this whole day that I or whole time that I cheated on him that he doesn't trust me because I cheated on him that ended and so baby daddy three and I kind of he he held this over my head then things would be totally fine again I start bringing up the fact that I feel like I'm having to do all of the emotional labor of telling him like any of the times we would have bonus kid. I had to keep up with that. I had a calendar for all of that. I knew when everything was. And he would tell me that my schedule was just too hard to know because I was the one keeping up with everybody's schedule. Defining point with him was probably when he started going through my phone. And his excuse was he was going away to academy. So he sees what all these people do at academy. So he was insecure. So he went through my things to reassure him. 
and he tried to lie to me that night about it. He like tried to hide my phone and we had the same phone, just different cases basically. And so he tried to like hide my phone up underneath him and be like, oh, I was just on my phone. And I was like, no, you're lying to me. At that point, I had been in therapy talking to a therapist. I had my best friend and I was like, this, this can't go on like this. At this point, uh, I very much kink lifestyle. It was an abusive lifestyle. I want to clarify that for anybody that's listening. While I was sub, it was abusive because there was no contract and there was no time that I could turn it off. And this is with your partner? Or yes, with Baby Daddy Three, I was in the the kink lifestyle. I was sub, and he was supposed to be my dom, and it was very fake dom because it there was no turning it off. There was no being able to consent there, basically. And in that, um, because there was things like I like to be choked and things like that, I said if I can't trust you to tell me the truth, I'm putting a hold on sex while I figure things out and figure out where I'm going with this. And he was okay with it for a little while and did the, uh, well, I messed up. And he actually talked to his kid about it, about how Amanda was upset because I violated her privacy and like brought the kid into adult things. That's not okay. No. And I would say things like that. And there would be times where I'd reach out to the ex-wife and say, hey, um, this fight happened. This was said. Because the child was, it was and is in therapy. My thought process was, even if ex-wife and I aren't friends, then at least she should, like, I would want to know if my kid was involved in that. Right. And I would want to be able to tell the therapist, because that's the, the safe place. And so at first he was very, like, apologetic, and then it was, well, how long does this have to go? And started telling me that I was punishing him, that I was using it against him, and I was using sex to control him. The coercion was really amped up. Finally, I just said yes, just to get it over with. And if you're listening, if he asks that many times that you just say yes to get it over with, then you're not consenting. Mm -mm, No, that's another situation where it's either a fuck yes or a no. Absolutely. If someone is not excited to have sex with you, they are not consenting, even if they say yes. That's right. I ended up conceiving the toddler out of that one, the youngest, because I had a cyst just a couple days prior that that was ovulation, so we should be in the clear. So he asks me in the middle of the act when I had ovulated, and I told him when I thought I did. And without conversation, he decides he is going to come inside me again. If your regular modem or whatever is pull out or things like that and they decide for you they're going to go against that that's not consent right so i get pregnant there's all kinds of feels uh the night that we find out that i'm pregnant he tries to gaslight me into thinking that i don't see the lines that i i see like hello i'm a woman our brains are like trained for those faint lines right he tries to gaslight me he doesn't see them admits to it because apparently that's worked in the past and remember i'm not supposed to be able to carry to term anymore like i had already grieved that process so this is a whole new shock to me of what the fuck not knowing if i'm even gonna like how it was conceived am i even gonna carry this child to term he asks me knowing that previous partners have pushed for an abortion and knowing that 
how I felt about it and knowing that the trauma that it had created then asks me if that was something I was willing to consider. And I said, no, that's not tried to push that direction. When he realized that it wasn't, his next method became joking about not being the father. In my previous home births, I was able to have a midwife that was covered by insurance. And the group that I was ended up going for was not covered by insurance because the, the former midwife was no longer practicing in home. So he would like I would talk to him about cost because while our finances were separate, this was her child that we made together. I have alpha gal, which is the only diagnosis I had at the time, but it makes things it's a it's a tick born allergy to mammal and mammal byproducts mm-hmm. makes receiving medicine very hard. So it created like this very big fear cycle of having to go in hospital. So I talked to him about the cost for it and he would make comments like, well, I guess you should ask the father of the baby. Things like that would always say, well, he's just joking. It's not a dick. Don't take it so hard. Favorite thing for him to say. I was in therapy because again, relationships failing. So I'm going to go to therapy to fix me for the things that he's telling me I'm doing wrong. And boundaries was one of them. I didn't know how to do boundaries. I just controlled people. So I went to therapy and boundaries said, those control me and protect me. So I said, okay, I'm no longer going to participate in this conversation. If you say anything about not being the father, I'm dipping. You can have the conversation with yourself. So he stopped that, but then he would move on to the next thing. And the next thing was, I was asking too much by asking to split the bill. And so that would be a big deal. And I remember begging him to be present in this because this was a big emotional thing to me because I wasn't supposed to be able to carry to term anymore. And here I am like that kid said bet. And so I was begging for the contribution. A friend of mine was throwing a baby shower since last kid I'd gotten rid of everything because I wasn't supposed to be able to have kids anymore. So I asked him to help with the registry and he wouldn't help. And then when I published it and said, hey, can you like, can you people get things off of this list if possible? He told me I controlled everything and I took his ability to input away. It's funny how things repeat themselves oh, yes. until we find a way to change those patterns. Yes. So during that pregnancy, things would get worse and worse. If I brought up an idea of realizing more of my own neurodivergencies and my own diagnoses and realizing that my children's diagnoses and unmasking what I was brought up with, because there was a lot of trauma with what I was brought up with of just have a schedule and you're choosing to do all these things that like, no, my brain is literally fucking different. So in that, I would do things to start working towards our brains, make this house work for us, not the other way around. I would be told that I was changing the environment and I was controlling the environment and it like it didn't work for him, so I shouldn't do it. And I would have to ask permission to make changes in the house that I lived in. And I'm talking hanging stuff up, like a hanging up a dry erase board, talking about moving furniture around a little bit, things like that. I had to ask permission for, but I was supposed to be an equal in this house, but I would be told that it was his house. His name was on the mortgage, not mine. Well, it was a big fight and kind of one of the big turning points of the relationship 
when I started actually talking to my sister, my therapist, stuff like that, when they started telling me to get a safety plan. And at this point, I'm like, eh, I, I, let me get my older kids out of the house. Like I was planning to make this happen that long. If you're even thinking about needing a safety plan, you're not lasting years. Right. You're not. And you need to be out of the relationship. Like you need to be trying to expedite that. And I tried being like, listen, I want us to work on us. I want us to try to do therapy still. I want us to come back together. Like I have this safety plan to exit, but I'm still trying to convince myself that we can work this out. In therapy, we get the stereotypical, use the I statements, use, why don't y'all use a calendar? Putting a lot of the labor back onto me to get him to do the things for us to to make it work. Why did I have to be so particular? I could just let go of my control. And if he did something completely weaponized incompetence, he's 10 years older than me. 39-year-old knows how to wash dishes. To purpose, like, you have to purposely do it wrong at this point. I just needed to let go of my control. You don't have time with five kids for inefficiency. No. You just don't. There's not time for that. He then tells me, because when I return back to work, I'm seeing how this is going and seeing that I can't stay out of work as long as I had originally planned to. And so I did so. And the baby didn't stay home with him. It was another repeat. He told me at one point that he was using his parenting time by paying for the babysitter. That counted as his parenting time because it was his money. Wow. He's a real winner. I made the mistake that each one was better in some sort of way than the last. And your bar was really low. It's like I tripped over that bitch. Um. (laughs) (laughs) But even getting incrementally better in some areas, it's like when you start with the bar on the ground, it's very low still. Yes. So the name calling started during fights during this time. Bitch, the one thing that I told him to never call me because of my childhood trauma. It'd be one thing and be like, look, bitch, or, you know, kidding. But to actually call me that derogatively, like that was off limits, even in derogative play. Like, absolutely no. Hard no for me. And that was his favorite one to do. And then every time it would be, I'm sorry. I I didn't think about that. But out of all the names... That, that was the one that he would like to do. I got to the point where I was recording all my conversations with this man, whether in person or on the phone, to make sure that I was hearing the things that I was hearing when he told me I didn't, or he told me I didn't say them, didn't tell him an event was coming up, or he didn't say what he said. The conversation gets to the point where it, he says, well... I'm going to go to my room before I say something I regret. At this point, uh, I said, well, just so you know, I haven't regretted anything I've said. I've meant every bit of it. And he come back with, that's fine. Keep being a bitch. And he walks to his room and I said, what'd you say? And he doesn't repeat it. He walks to his room. I pause the recording and go back and I hear that he called me a bitch. So I go address it. I ask him again what he said. And he said, nothing. I was, I was talking to myself. I was mumbling. And I said, no, you called me a bitch and you're single. And then he wanted to know how I knew. And it became about what I did to know that he called me a bitch. And at that point, it was, I violated his privacy in his home by recording him. And I said, it's a one-party state. As long as I know I'm recording, I can record it. And 
it was a, such a back and forth. And so I'm standing in his doorway to his room. Another big thing here that if you're in a relationship, you should not have a complete rental agreement with your partner. I did. I had a rental agreement to basically be a sublease from him. He was like, you need to leave. And I said, I'm in the part that I pay for. I don't have to go any fucking where. So he used the lovely term that is based in the profession that he was in is you can move or I will manually move you. Played chicken for a minute. I was like, all right, I'm where I'm allowed to be because I was technically on the hallway side of his door frame. And we keep going back and forth. And then that's when he decided to come out to manually move me. And I decided last minute I'm going to move because six foot four, 200 and something pound man coming at you, kind of scary. And he ends up pushing me because as he's coming at me, I say, if you put your hands on me, I'm going to call the police. I should have. I didn't. If they put your, their hands on you, fucking call the police. Don't think about their career or how it'll hurt them or any of those things. Because that's a mistake I did. Because I believed the lies he told me that if his chief found out about certain behaviors that he wouldn't have a job. And then what about the kid in this situation? What about the house? How would the bills get paid? Like all these things. So I didn't call the police. That night, he claimed it was his lack of balance and he just grazed my arm because his arm was a little bit out ahead of him. But I was several feet away from him by the time he was able to actually push me. And that was October. I stayed in that house in a roommate situation until April of this year. By March-ish, he pushed to reconcile. I'm open to trying to do things, but I really was heavy on, I want to do growth myself because I'm, I'm realizing I'm codependent at this point, like how much it was seeped in my everyday life. I'm saying, hey, I need to figure out me. I need to figure out what I want in life. I need to figure out these things. As that night I left because if anything, I know anything in my life, if there's a situation that, that strenuous, the best thing to do is get out of it. So I'm going to my friend's house for us to spend the night there. And I'm talking to my now 10 year old. And I say, like, he, he's talking to me and we're talking about the situation and the feelings because he heard my ex call me a bitch again. And when my 10 year old looked at me and said, mom, he's called you a bitch before. Why is this one any different? Ouch. That has rang through any time I get lonely and think about trying to get into a relationship because... I looked at him and I said, these are the things like you've got to admit to the abuse. And of course, all of a sudden he could admit to the abuse. He had to admit to the sexual coercion. And of course, all of a sudden he could get admitted to that. He could suddenly want to do uh, counseling. He, all these changing. He went and started doing trauma therapy by himself. He threatened suicide. I didn't follow through with reporting it like I should. And in this reconcile of he suddenly was the love bomb and, and was there for the kids without using it against me would help me with things without there being a cost to it later um, suddenly wanted to spend time with me I agreed to counseling on the basis that we would be better co-parents because what could hurt being a better co-parent because I'm a strong believer of like I don't get to just write this man off as soon as my kid turns 18. Like, my kid's going to have important things throughout, so we might as well figure out how to get along. Right. I found myself in marital counseling. I was never married. So going into this, I tell him, I'm going to tell the therapist 
the complete truth. I'm done downplaying things for you. I'm done trying to convince others you're not who you are. Going through this process, this therapist is at a trauma center. I'm upfront. She does a joint therapy with both of us to get the intake. And then towards the end, she says, I want two separate appointments. I want one with her, one with you, and we'll come back. And I told him, well, if she's worth her weight at all, then she'll do that and she'll recognize things. And sure enough, that next appointment, she saw through the shit. She told me I was being abused still. I wouldn't tell him what she said because I didn't feel safe to. And that was an indicator there. Like the most I told him was that because his big thing would be to ask, is there anything I should know? And I said, no, I don't think so. I'm still going to go with like whatever she advises, which was just me hiding behind. I didn't feel safe enough to tell him. Nor were you obligated to. I mean, this is confidentiality. Yes. She meets with him and she tells him that there's an active abuse power control dynamic and that she can't see us because she does the I need to reach out to my peers and my management to get guidance. But most likely, this is where I'm going. He gets in a fight with me after this and suddenly starts the well, when is this going to be good enough? How long do I have to go before I show you that I've changed? (laughs) I go, hey, I'm just going to follow what the therapist says. It comes to a head because at this point I've moved out because we started that process in March. I moved out in April. I moved out and he was continuing to help me with my older children because, again, I wanted that co-parenting relationship where we didn't have to be very by the books and stuff. When I decided to reconcile with him, I decided to have sex with him again. And I had told him it was just to get a need met because that's what it was to me. I hadn't had sex since I had the baby. I wanted to. He told me he was helping to kit me out with the kids to help me out with cost because he knew this was a big thing for me. Hoping that my first two exes pay their child support in addition to my income. Because if they don't, I'll get evicted. So he knows this. I'm still very much kind of not hard lining boundaries there with him. I'm not creating time for him. Because he's my ex. I create time with him on, I've got to go to the store. Do you want to go with me? Do you want to exist with me? Because I am giving you the version I can when I can that I feel the safest. He decided that wasn't enough and that basically it was the sex all over again. And he tells me that he's been keeping my children for me. The least I could do is make time for him. And he makes it out to basically the payment for him keeping my children was I was supposed to find intimate time with him. And it came back again with the, he's done enough. And I was like, dude, you are my abuser. You don't get to tell me when you've done enough. I get to make that decision. And that triggered him. Anytime I told him he abused me, although he was suddenly saying that he was abusive in these things, it triggered when I pointed out the exact behavior. And that was my like hard line there because a good author, I've listened to some of the podcasts. I don't know if it's been brought up before, but Lundy Bancroft, I think is his name. Um, He does a lot of really good books like Why Does He Do That? But his career was working with the abusive men. And he came up with this list of things that you would know if he actually changed. It's the checklist for assessing change in men who abuse women. And then like the top one was admitting fully to what he's done. So he suddenly started admitting that he what he had done. 
but he was still making excuses, which is the next one is stop making excuses. He would admit that he was abusive, but then still some way made it the way to blame me for it. Have you been able to completely cut him off now? Yes. Now we are using a co-parenting app. I'm less gray rock, more yellow rock. But because because of his status, he is financially able to do more in the court system because some of it was he he was financially abusive because nothing was in my name. My phone bill, he convinced me that it would be cheaper to join his phone. So my phone was no longer in my name. My car broke. He attempted to fix it. I suspect now that it wasn't truly an attempt. And like, he just like, oh, it died. So he went and bought a car. It was only in his name. Like I had nothing of mine except for the furniture that I had, um, which is more than some DV victims end up with. And to this day, now we don't have a set child support. We don't have a set parenting plan as of yet, but he, uh, that is his child support is what he says. And he is using that to like, he doesn't pay me anything monetarily. He pays his car bill, but lets me drive it basically. That's not how that works. Yeah. So my lawyer, I, I ended up having to obtain a lawyer and she's like, well, that's not how that works. If you're in a situation similar to this and your whole reason for staying is financially, you can, there is now a credit card for law services. So I was able to pay for her with that, with cutting him down as minimal as I can. I do yellow rock, which is still short, sweet to the point. Don't engage, but it's like what you would do to talk to your coworker. So you're not telling them the private details, but you're also appearing to be nice. Gotcha. To kind of wrap up where I am with that one is it's still very continuous or contentious. He tries to hold me to a parenting plan that is not there. We've got some things we agree on, um, but it's all verbal. Yeah, you gotta you gotta get that finalized with people like that. Uh huh. It's like he tries to pick fights. And then tries to make it out to, I'm not trying, I refuse to co-parent when I won't engage. You don't get to tell the other parent how to do things. Right. So what are you doing for your own healing now? You mentioned you're staying single. I am in therapy with a therapist who is aware with neurodivergent aware, OCD aware, things like that, because we realized that between the trauma, because I have CPTSD, autism, ADHD, depression with major depressive episodes and anxiety. And with all of that, most likely there's OCD, at least there's very strong OCD tendencies that may just be an overlap of all the issues. So I found a therapist who is willing to tell me to shut up basically and makes me listen. But she actually gives me resources more than just a, how did that make you feel? Mm-hmm. One of the big things she did recently for me was broke it down of what were the pros and cons of like, say my last relationship, because I find myself knowing he's abusive, knowing he's not safe for me or my children. I find myself going, I mean, things were good at one point. What if we could get back to that? I heard on another podcast, a therapist said to a woman in a similar situation, that is a dog that bites and you're continuing to stick your hand into the cage. 
that's one of the metaphors she's actually using with me right now of not only it's a dog that bites, but basically I have to deal with this man for the rest of my life, but at least for the next 17 years. Right. I have to protect my children. Right. So I've got to be able to enter this cage and not get completely triggered so I can protect my children. You mentioned, um, a 12-step program earlier that you're also a part of. Yes. Um, so there is Codependence Anonymous. You can look that up with um, C-O-D-A, 12-step, and it should be like the first step thing that pops up. It's mostly online. Like I have not found a in-person. My recommendation is try out a few of them. Uh, so I'm still trying to find a home, if you will, because like for those types of meetings, you have like a home in your meeting hall if it was local. Right. right. One of the things I'm reading right now is Peeling the Onion, which is part of the CODA publishing. And it talks about what you do as a codependent, breaking that down. And then the next thing I'm going to be doing is my therapy is ordering like the workbook to help me work through each of the steps. It, once I find my home, I'm also hoping to get a sponsor because it's very much similar to what we hear for the other 12-step programs. Well, that's awesome. I need to show my children what to do is what's right to accept. So like they're my biggest motivator and all that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that. I know it takes a lot of energy and you're a busy mom. <laughs> And you have kids screaming your name and <laughs> thank you. Yeah. And like, it really will help other people. So we really appreciate you taking the time and the energy. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> have a good night. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. We appreciate it so much. If you want to support our show further, you can share our podcast with your friends, follow us on our socials at NGCOMPod or sign up for our Patreon to help keep the show going with a donation. Or you can become a patron for exclusive access to bonus content and interact with us and other loyal listeners on our feed. Meanwhile, if you liked what you heard today, please leave us a positive review. If you didn't, no worries, move on about your day. If you wanna share your story on our show, please visit our website at ngcompod.com to fill out the contact us form. Thanks again for listening.